Welcome to Wholehearted Coaching, the podcast. If you're looking for more purpose, more passion, more joy in your life, then you have come to the right place. I am your host, coach and life alchemist, Sharin Eskandani, and I have worked with thousands of people showing them how to create their dream lives while also living their dream lives. This podcast is where mindset, mindfulness, and manifestation meet. Together, we're going to release limiting beliefs, put your dreams into motion, all while prioritizing your ease, rest, and joy. Let's do this, love. Welcome to Wholehearted Coaching, the podcast. This is where we take a deeper dive into my Mindset Monday post, which you can read on Instagram at Wholehearted Coaching. Or if you want to go even deeper into this week's episode and get my free weekly journal prompts, sign up for my email list and you'll be able to explore the topics we're talking about in this episode even further. You can do that in the show notes or by heading to my website, wholehearted-coaching.com. And if you're interested in working with me, whether that's one-on-one in one of my group programs or one of my transformational courses, you can head to my website, wholehearted-coaching.com slash offerings to find out more. And of course, you can also head to the show notes and all of this information will be waiting for you there. All right, love, welcome to this week's episode. I cannot believe that this is our final interview of the month. For the month of May, I have been interviewing, I've been in conversation with some incredible, inspiring, amazing women. And we have been looking at the idea of how we can decolonize ourselves and decolonize our lives. Now, I know that's a word that is used a lot right now, but really what these conversations are about, they're about living life by your own terms, existing outside of all of the shoulds and supposed tos, and doing things the way that you truly want to do them. It is about no longer questioning yourself. It is about listening to yourself, your heart, your spirit, your ancestral wisdom, and living life with that as your compass. That, to me, is what decolonizing your life is. It is about living freely, bravely, in the biggest way possible. And that is what these conversations have all been about. They have been so inspiring to me, and I really hope that they have inspired something within you. These are conversations we all need to be having. They're questions we all need to be sitting with. When it comes to decolonizing our lives, this isn't just a practice for certain types of folks. This is for all of us. We have all been colonized. Our imaginations, our intuition, our instincts, our dreams, these are all things that we need to reclaim. And each conversation that I have had this month has given me so many ah ahas, so many questions to sit with, and so many practices to embody. Again, I hope you feel the same way. Our final conversation is with someone who is so incredibly special to me. This was a real pinch-me moment because I have been following this person online for years, and their wisdom and knowledge is so heartfelt. It is so deep. It is so powerful. And I now get to call them a colleague and a friend. I had an awkward moment in the intro where, like, I didn't know if I could call them a friend. And you know when you, like, don't know if you're friends with someone so you don't say it? And then they're like, you know we're friends. So we had this like really awkward moment. It was awkward for me, but like, they're my friend. 
<laughs> All that to say, I am so incredibly excited about this interview and excited to introduce you all to Asha Frost. Asha Frost is an indigenous medicine woman, entrepreneur, and a member of the Chippewas of Nawash First Nation. She is the best-selling author of You Are the Medicine and the Sacred Medicine Oracle and has guided thousands of people through profound and lasting transformation. As a highly sought-after speaker, Asha leads from her clan teachings of the crane, holding space from vision and heart. This conversation with Asha, I think, is so powerful because she is so open and honest and vulnerable. She's someone that if, you know, you look at her page and you look at all of the things she's done, you think, well, this is someone who never questions themselves, who never has to navigate fear or worry. And in our conversation together, she so openly tells us about her experience being on this platform, this really highly regarded platform, and the beauty and difficulty of that. I know this is a conversation that will resonate with so many folks. Asha so beautifully speaks from the heart. You almost feel like you're encompassed in a hug when you are in community with her, when you're in conversation with her. So get ready. And just as a reminder, next week, I will be sharing some really big news on the podcast a really big pivot in wholehearted coaching. I've been talking about it, hinting at it for a while. And next week, I'll finally be announcing what that is. And then after that episode, we're taking a bit of a summer break, a summer hiatus, and we'll be back in September. Okay, love, let's get into this conversation with Asha Frost. I am so excited to introduce this community to someone that I fangirl over. And now I get to call them a colleague and um, have gotten to know them so much better. I am so incredibly grateful to welcome Asha Frost to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Well, thanks for having me. And I hope that it's friend as well. You consider me yes. a friend. <laughs> I'm always like, can I call you? It's so, yes. thank you. My heart just skipped a beat, but it is strange. So Asha and I connected over Instagram and she has been someone who has really been like, for me, you've been a North star in this world of kind of online wellness and healing for me, because I think you do it so genuinely and authentically. And that's part of the conversation I want to have with you, that journey of getting there. Cause I'm, I assume that maybe that's maybe not how it began, but your space of the internet is such a, it's just such a genuine, authentic one, which is, it, it is a very hard thing to come across on Instagram, right? Mm -hmm. Oh my it's, goodness. Thank it's you. Amazing. Thank you. That means so much to me because you don't often know. I mean, I'm showing up as my authentic self, but I'm hoping it's going to land that way too. So I appreciate those words so much. Absolutely. So Asha, we're going to get straight into it because I feel like there's so many questions I want to ask you. And I think that at its core, it's related to kind of this conversation around decolonizing ourselves and decolonizing our lives. I would love to hear from you how you define that and what that looks like. Of course, that's going to be a larger conversation of what that looks like, but how do you define 
decolonizing one's life? Hmm. It really comes down to how it feels in my body. My body always guides me on this decolonization journey. And I really like to frame it in that re-indigenization journey. So I always like to think, how can I bring my indigenous spirit and soul, my ancestral medicine, my own medicine that flows from my bones and blood into a space? So it feels like an energy. It feels like, for me, it's a full body feeling when I feel like either there's old colonial patterns that are rising in me that are asking me to like jump into, or I'm coming up against colonial energy that feel like I need to somehow just address in a different way. So it feels sort of like a boundary or a barrier when I come up across that energy. And I will admit that it's a constant journey every single day, sometimes moments in a day where I have to check in and say, what does my indigenous spirit say about this? What do my bones and my ancestries say about this? And then go from that place of quiet, sitting with the land, dream time, or ways that we haven't been conditioned necessarily to learn how to sort of express that knowledge or that wisdom. So it's a constant process. I, I love that so much. And that reminder that it is, it's not just a insight that comes to us and then it just happens, but it's a constant reminder because it's, it's been so unfortunately, um, ingrained in us that it can be undone, but it's, it's just, sometimes it, it feels like that first instinct we have is that colonial one. So I love that reminder of the constant practice of it all. Asha, you kind of went quote unquote viral. How many years ago when you wrote a really kind of, was it, it was a blog post and then an Instagram post, if I'm correct. It was a blog post that I made into an Instagram post just to have the link close to my blog. I mean, my blog was never, nobody read it ever until then. Um, and it was 2019. Tell us about this very pivotal moment. I want to talk about like the before and the after, but I think what that letter, that blog post set into motion really has been kind of, we've seen it manifest in all these beautiful ways now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us what happened in 2019. Yeah. So I was inspired to write about what I'd been experiencing for the last 10 years in these spaces. And it was, again, it just, for me, it always comes down to my body. I would just see all of these ways of extraction or harmful ways in the new age spiritual wellness industry. But I never felt like I had, like I was worthy enough to take up the space to speak about them. Or I felt that, well, who am I? Who am I to speak about these things, even though it was directly impacting me and the next generations and my ancestors? The space at the time really highlighted white women, white coaches, white wellness people. And I didn't feel like I had a lot of agency, but my body spoke louder than that and said, if you do not speak this, you will get sick. Mm -hmm. It is really weighing on you and you need to share these words So I wrote something that was called Dear White Woman That Wants to Be Like Me because that was the phrase I would hear over and over again. Oh my goodness, I wish I was like you. I wish I had your earrings. I wish, it was always like, I wish I had your ancestry. And I would sit there and sort of smile, sort of fawn at that response, but then feel this like knife go in my chest because I was thinking, you don't wish, you don't necessarily wish to take on all of the things that you're saying that you want to to take on. So I wrote this letter. It went viral. And I was not, I was shocked because Mm -hmm. I didn't really expect that it was going to go viral. And I wasn't expecting that so many people would be so mad. 
I wrote it from a place of invitation. And my way tends to be like open-hearted, let's come together like that bridge, you know, let's try to work on this together. So I really felt like I wrote it from heart. But then of course, we we perceive things from our own standpoint and our own viewpoint and it landed in people's, I don't know, it, it bounced up against them and they didn't love it. So it caused a lot of chaos and disruption in this industry. I think that probably needed it. Mm. And my system wasn't necessarily ready for all the disruption. So it was a journey probably for a year before I could even go and check my emails again. Wow. Oh my gosh. So people were emailing you personally about this blog post, this this Instagram post. Yes. And DMing. And it, it sounds like that might sound really extreme, but because I didn't know what was going to be on the other end of any of my emails that I opened or any of any of my DMs, I and some of them were really mean. I just got into this freeze response where I couldn't go back in and look at them. So I had to hire somebody to filter through some of them to make sure that um, whatever I was reading was, you know, was safe to sort of read. And I understand that people are going to have their opinions and all of these things. And I put up this really controversial post, but I think that many of them were just continuing that harm. If it was just a disagreement, that would be one thing, but many of them are perpetuating continuing the harm. And that's what was hard. That doesn't sound extreme at all, Asha. That actually sounds like such a healthy boundary to have. And I'm so sorry that you went through that, but also not surprised because, you know, it's not a controversial post because it is what you use. Because I always define courage as as speaking from your heart. I, I remember reading that and I was like, this is such a, it was so heartfelt. It came from your heart. And it was, I feel like the deepest intention was to connect from your heart to another heart. But of course, we know that our words can be perceived in so many different ways. And unfortunately, when they're perceived in a certain way, people will attack us personally. And so I'm I'm really sorry you went through that. I would love to hear just a little bit about that courage it took to even post that. Because I've had those moments where I know something is going to ruffle feathers. And that back and forth I have between whether I should and shouldn't can be a really hard one. And, and I'm hearing that you really leaned upon your body and and its wisdom in in that process. And I think that that's sort of some, some of the discrepancy or the disparity between being a person of color and speaking some of these truths, because we have, in my perspective, we have so much more to lose. We're already like not being seen. Our voices aren't being heard. We're not giving the space to show up and shine. And so I think sometimes white women can share and they feel brave and that's amazing. And I applaud them and they don't have as much to lose. So we're putting a lot more on the line. And I think that sometimes that's part of the courage it takes to think, how am I going to do this? Even if everything falls away, everything I'm trying really hard to build falls away. And again, I I could not stop because I was shaking so hard every time one of these things happened. The shaking in my body was so strong that I just... I knew that I had to prioritize my body over losing everything I had tried to build. It felt really important. So that took priority, that took precedence. And I really learned a lot from that, that that was really important. I know that from what you shared on Instagram, your body has been kind of a compass for you that you, 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 I know that you've shared your story with your chronic illness and it's so interesting. You'll post old photos of yourself sometimes, sometimes on Instagram. And I'm like, who, who is this? Like, it's a totally different Asha. And so 
I would love for you to kind of share that journey from that version of you to this version of you who seems to very much know is is constantly trying to attempt to know themselves better and express themselves in a way that's really connected to who you are. Yeah. So Asha, can you tell us a little bit about that? And I feel like also your journey is a journey about learning how to listen to your body. I'm really bad at listening to my body. So I would love for you to tell me your story. Oh my goodness. I can think of a picture that I posted that was um, when I first started my business. I think I was 27. And I remember I was working for a clinic part-time because I was trying to, you know, trying to do all the things and trying to make money while I was starting my business. That person was an incredible people pleaser. And she was not connected to, I think not even connected to the true power that she held as an indigenous, indigenous person in this world. I think there had been so much colonial trauma and also a lot of, this is how I need to fit into this world that I think I just, I had separated myself. I was very disconnected to those really potent medicines within me. They were, they were starting to wake up, but they were buried because I wanted to fit in and I wanted to assimilate. And I grew up in a very white town. It was safe to assimilate in the town. There was only three indigenous people in my high school. And they were my cousins. So it was like, it was just, that was my journey up to that point. So the unraveling, the dismantling, the reclaiming has been a journey since then. And I think the illness, the lupus, like woke that up. That was when I was 17. So it took probably 10 years before I really came to understand, oh my goodness, this is like, this is way deeper. This is rooted in the, you know, residential school trauma that lives in your bones and blood. Because at that time, those things weren't really talked about. And even in my own family, I sort of knew something like this happened, but it was very buried because everybody was converted to Christianity and I grew up Catholic. So it was all of these ways that all of a sudden it was like all these light bulbs came on. And I thought, something's impacting my physical body here. I need to start listening more deeply. So from 27, when I first started my business to now, it's been this continuous journey of listening to how my body's speaking. And my ancestors have become very clear and very sort of loud and inform my ways of being. And now I trust it. I trust it so deeply. Whereas before I would waver and just think, well, what does the world want of me? Mm. Or what is the way I'm going to fit in? Or what is the way I'm going to succeed? Because I think that's something a lot of people of color have to ask themselves. Like sometimes I need to disconnect myself from my parts of myself in order to be seen and heard. That makes me really sad to say that, but I definitely have done that. Mm. For you, you know, in that moment when you had the the post, which we, of course, um, you did not know it was going to be viral. Mm -hmm. I feel like there was this trajectory then that kind of happened from there. Can you kind of explain what happened post besides all of the, the not so good stuff, but kind of the good stuff that came out of that? So much good stuff. I mean, I wouldn't be here today without that post. I I know I wouldn't be here today without mm-hmm. that courage. I think that took to write that post. So I was invited by somebody to apply for this diverse wisdom contest at Hay House because of that post and write an essay based around that post, which is what I did. And it had always been a dream of mine to be on a Hay House stage. Like that was a very specific dream. And when I was 20, And I thought, well, this is a dream I've held. I don't know how I'll ever get there, but this is a way in. So 
I tend to be the type of person that when given opportunity, I tend to take it. That's just, that might be my Capricorn moon, but I just tend to be like, this is a responsibility, gotta go there. So I did and I worked hard on it and I went a spot to the writer's workshop. And then, you know, after writing the proposal, I got a book deal and it was like this opening. I remember the day I got it, it was June 4th. It was the day after my birthday. And I was just like, it's happening. It's happening. So how am I going to take this gift, this huge gift that I'm being offered from a creator? How am I going to rise up from it? How am I going to meet it? Because I knew that it was a privilege as an Indigenous woman to receive this. And I knew that I had to take it as that big of a deal so that I could walk the way as a trailblazer and just showing other Indigenous youth that they can do it too. So Mm. it just sort of has unfolded and rolled along as life tends to do. And there has been just more space made for my voice as a result. Something that has become a really clear theme in all of these interviews is kind of that moment where someone decides to reclaim their roots, understand themselves and their history better, and really stand firm in that, in all of that, is kind of when, quote unquote, success happens. And it Mm -hmm. almost feels like all those things that you desired were on the other side of this this reclamation, which with it came lots of good stuff, but also lots of painful stuff as well. Yeah. I always had this image because there was a point on that journey, on the publishing journey where there was a lot up, you know, it was 2020 and and there was a lot going on in social media. And there was this point where I questioned, is this my path? Do I go forward with this or do I choose another route? And I closed my eyes and I asked for a vision and I saw myself on a stage and spirit said, you need to choose the path that is going to bring you more of that, more of that. So, you know, there's always those points too, where we, it's just, you do have to make that choice. And that choice was as an indigenous woman, where is the biggest shift? Where am I going to make the biggest impact? And it was to take up space, which Mm -hmm. I had never chosen to do in that big of a way before. And that takes courage too, because we don't have a lot of models of folks doing that. So sometimes it just feels like you're looking around going, nobody's really doing this before me. So I have to find something within me that's saying, this is your spot to take. It is. That is, oh gosh, that, that looking around to see for the role models, the mentors, and really sometimes having to look really hard, sometimes not seeing them. And then you having to be that, I think, Asha, that's, what you have been for so many folks. And something that I wanted to touch upon is, you know, I think something that happens, I think one, it's the human condition to always question your enoughness. Mm -hmm. But I think also as people of color, as an indigenous person, it's that space of not feeling enough, like maybe not feeling enough to to do this, but then also maybe not feel, I wonder what the not enoughs for you were at that time. Or even now too. All, yeah. all the time, right? <laughs> all the time. All, it arises all the time. Yes. Oh my goodness. I think um, specifically in the publishing world, it really comes down to numbers. Like all of those sort of colonial capitalistic energies and systems are really yeah. heightened when you're in this relationship. So the not enough comes up really fast. So I need to learn how to build a correct or right relationship that feels reciprocal for me where I'm not being drained by the constant How many books am I selling? Am I meeting their expectations? Am I meeting my own expectations? All of these things. So again, that's where that colonial energy comes in. And I have to say, 
What's most important? Oh, it's that DM I just received that said, this book changed my life. Or these cards are helping remember who I am as a two-spirit indigenous person. Like Mm. those things I have to return to in those ways or else I'll constantly be on that hamster wheel of not enough. I was really worried before my book came out that I was worried about indigenous folks not loving it, not feeling like I had enough traditional knowledge, like elders or wisdom keepers, knowledge keepers saying, this wasn't enough. This wasn't enough. Like, because I don't speak for everyone and I only speak for myself, I was so terrified of that. And what ended up happening was I got so much response from the younger generation Mm. that say to me, I'm so disconnected from my culture. I don't have any like any part of my family that I'm connected to anymore and you are helping me. So I was just looking in the wrong direction and just just kind of terrified of what I knew. So there's, but you know, those things still rise and it is really, it can be really scary and vulnerable putting out your heart and spirit into a world where you have no control over how anybody is going to receive it. And that's, and it's when it's wrapped up too and a lot of like cultural understanding, traditional ways of being and knowing, you know, you're not going to please everyone. So you really have to return to your ancestral guidance and those moments when people say this changed my life. Oh my gosh. It's such a great reminder. I think a lot of the people in this community are people pleasers. I am recovering people pleasers. I'm a recovering people pleaser. And I can't imagine what it's like to have like a book in the world where you so visibly can see the numbers, the reviews, all of that. Right. And just standing firm in what you created and your belief in it and your, you know, pride in it. As you say that, I'm like, that is such a tough thing to navigate, but always coming back to what's most important. Yeah. And I think, you know, I didn't read any reviews for a while because it was so terrifying. (laughs) And I know somebody told me not to, and I thought, okay, if she doesn't, then I could not do it too. And then I have um, somebody who helps me and she's like, well, you need to read some of them. So I'm going to send them to you because they're really kind. So that's been really beautiful too, because I know we're not supposed to be attached to that feedback or the external validation, but when you pour your heart and soul into something, you do want to know that you've made a difference. And for me, it's not about the numbers. I mean, money would be nice, but it's like, it really is about that like transformation and that I'm making a mark that I'm making an impact in some way means everything to me. Ash has an incredible book. We're going to have everything linked in the show notes and she'll tell us about it. She has a book, an Oracle deck, which I love and I use it every Monday. So today's a Monday recording and I use it this morning. It's so wonderful. But I would love to hear what is your creative process like, especially because I feel like you've probably interwoven a lot of what you have discovered over the years into that process. So what is your creative process like? Because writing a book, writing an Oracle deck, and you're, I think you're maybe working on a new project as well. I don't know if you can say anything. Yes, yes, I can. Okay, great, great. What is that like? Because that can be so overwhelming and stressful on us, right? And it's, it's this tough thing. And Asha, I would love for you if you can expand upon it, right? But it's this tough thing of when you have done the work, And you want to live a more decolonized way, which is ease and rest and joy, but then also understanding that to put that work out into the world, it requires work. How do you navigate all of that? I wish I could say that the process is decolonized because (laughs) I, I really wish I could. And maybe people can do that. 
Um, when you're working with a traditional publisher, you have yeah. deadlines and yeah. they they create that right from the right from the get-go. So it's like you have this long to write something and there's very little wiggle room. Mm. So I don't know if I figured that out yet. So what I do is light a lot of candles and I burn <laughs> a lot of smudge because I need to have a beautiful environment. I bring a lot of beauty inside so that so that it feels like spirits all around me. So the actual process is very spirit-led and indigenized. But the um, the deadline piece is something that I'm still, I'm walking in both worlds yeah. all the time. And the deadlines can be tricky when you don't feel inspired. Mm. So for me, I need a lot of space to feel inspired. And as some folks know, I have two little ones who, you know, sometimes they get sick and they have to be off on my day where I'm like, this is a writing day. And then all of a sudden they're home and it's tricky to manage those things. So it's like a dance. It's a constant dance of like, I need to make space and setting boundaries and doing all those things that I have some spaciousness and it's hard with deadlines. So I am working on a new deck, an animal spirit deck, and I'm writing it. It's due June 1st. So it feels a little bit like that colonial speed, you know, like rush, rush, rush. I can feel that in my heart. So I just have to constantly remind Mm -hmm. myself, your ancestors are connected to this project. You are channeling them. You are your feet are on the land. Just feel into all of those support systems, and you'll you'll make it through. Mm, I mean, you bring up a good point, right? We we work within systems and frameworks that are colonized, um, and so it's really about navigating some sort of dance or balance or harmony, whatever you want to call it. Of what can I do that feels good for my spirit and my soul, but that also allows me to. Oh, I hate the word deadline, but it is. It does feel like a deadline. Like kind of is, it is like, it is right. Like they have this, like it's a production deadline. It's a printing deadline. Yeah. So all of those things, it's been a really interesting process for me to do that dance and to be able to speak up perhaps when something feels a little bit like, oh, that's not going to work for my indigenous spirit, you know? And just, I think we're learning together. So I Mm -hmm. think when you're in a colonial capitalistic system, you can build a relationship and then you yeah. can learn from each other and how this is going to be the best. And I'm hoping I'm paving a way for other Indigenous authors too by by speaking up to some of the things that don't always feel aligned. Mm, absolutely. Bringing up that thing of when you are the first one to break that barrier, then you are also the first to have to have these difficult conversations, right? And so you are creating the ease, hopefully, for all the others that will follow in your path. So. Oh, yes, definitely, Asha. I mean. <laughs> I truly see you as such a change maker and such a, the word leader isn't appropriate. I don't know, but that's all I can think of in this space of your work is so spirit-based and yet you are, I mean, putting out such incredible work, which I know is a lot for a person. And then a person with two kiddos and a life and a chronic illness. It's, it's amazing what you're doing. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I feel seen. (laughs) I I do want to talk about, you know, we started with what you were seeing happening in the world of wellness and you writing that post. How do you think things have shifted or changed, if at all? What What are you noticing or not noticing? Oh, I love that question. Well, it was really interesting timing because actually I think I wrote it in 2018 because then I wrote my proposal in 2019. So there was two years between 2018 and 2020, when social justice became a topic of conversation on social media. So it was an interesting space for me to witness and be like, oh, everybody's on board. 
Everybody wants to do the work. It's everything's changing. I'm so like, I feel so excited about this. And then of course, as we know, the interest just kind of petered out. Yeah. And we're in 2023 now where it's not the same attention that was brought in 2020. So I, what I do find is I think people are listening to the topic of cultural appropriation. I don't see as many ads with people waving around smudge sticks. However, what has popped up lately are more sort of videos where people are doing, and maybe it's smoke medicine ceremonies. I can't tell if it's sage, right? For their audiences in their reels. And I just, there's something about seeing it sometimes that feels sacred. And I think, oh, that's a beautiful ceremony. And then there's sometimes where I feel again that shaking, where I think there's something about, there's something extractive about this, where it's co opting practices for your own gain, for money, for all of those things, or it takes my breath away. So I think those things are still happening. And I don't know if people really understand the core of the harm that does to Indigenous folks or other folks who they're taking those practices from. And I was hoping that they would get it. And, and some people have, I, I believe that they have, but I still see those just like last week I saw too. And I was just a little disheartened, I think, to see that. I think what I've seen in a huge way when the, in Canada, there was this huge sort of outrage and cry when all of these Indigenous children were found, their bodies were found to be buried in all of these residential school sites. So that sort of national news really brought things to the surface. Even though Indigenous people had been educating about this for years and years, nobody wanted to listen until, of course, it became this national headline. So what I do see are folks really taking an interest in how to uplift Indigenous voices, how to learn the history, calling us in to educate, to share our medicines, to do openings, to do... Like that part feels like it's really shifted. And I'm so grateful for that to share my voice in ways that I never had it was invited to before. So mm. that part feels like a huge shift that I just want to applaud everybody for because I think people are doing a good job on a whole. There's also still some tokenization energies happening. So there's always a ways to go, but I think there's beautiful shifts happening. Yeah, I see those shifts as well. And in those moments where they're the missteps, it just, it it almost clashes so much more now because it's like, there is, I feel like, as you say, more of a collective effort to do better and when called out to do better from there as well. But we do have a ways to go, Asha, but so grateful for, for folks like you who so generously share your wisdom in your time. Cause I think that's also a big part of this too, is that I feel like, I wonder what is that like for you of being this person? And I feel like a lot of people probably call upon you for help or wisdom or guidance or whatever that is. How, how do you balance all of that? I see that sometimes in my DMs, you know, when people want me to educate them or provide them with guidance. And I've gotten really clear with my boundaries because I just cannot possibly offer all of that. Plus many of the things I've spoken about before, or they're in my book. That's why I'm so grateful I have a book because I can direct people and say, just go to my book. Have you read through this chapter? You know? So I think people get excited about learning and then they forget there's resources that they need to do the work. And actually, instead of going to the source and asking for more of my time and energy and medicine, I notice this is, this can be tricky sometimes. If I post about trauma, and I know people have talked about this, if I post about what was missing in Red Indigenous Women and Two Spirit Day last week, 
it gets so much traction. And then that's great to post about. It's education. It takes a lot of um, labor for me to do that. If I post about just what I want to post about, that sort of fun and ease and joy, it gets no traction. Yeah. So that I find that really challenging. Yeah. Yes. I have a colleague as well who just posted about it. She's a, a black woman posting the same thing where she says, when I post about trauma, it is some of my most highly, and she ha- she showed the numbers on her post and it was, it's like one thing to under- see it, see it and to kind of think about it. it was just so jarring to me. So yes, we have a ways to go, but just reminding folks to share in people's joy as much as, as when we feel we want to educate or to, yeah. Okay. So Ash, I have a couple more questions before, like I could literally be in conversation with you forever, but I remember we had a conversation and it was about your book and it was like the day before, maybe the week before you were about to do your audio book. And I remember you shared some of your worries or just a little bit of like unease about the indigenous words. And if you were pronouncing them properly. And I just, when we got off the conversation, I was like, wow, like I just, I, I would have never imagined, but also for me, I I'm an immigrant from Iran. I have the same worries, right? Like I'm not Iranian enough. And I, my pronunciation is off and this makes me less than, can I take up the space? I would love for you to now talk about now that you have taken up space and now that you are kind of on this platform, what are these new ways of reclaiming yourself, reclaim becoming and all of that, that you have had to work through or that you're working through? Can you share some of that with us? Oh, thank you for reminding me of that because I can still remember like it was almost like re-traumatizing from like residential school trauma that was to read them out and I'd have to check the Ojibwe language dictionary and listen. I would listen to make sure I said it just the right way. And of course, there's so many different dialects, all of the things. And I've talked, I've spoken to other Indigenous authors who have the same, Mm. same fear because there's just so much fear around that. And also it's not our fault, right? Like we, it's not our fault that we've been disconnected and this has been broken. So it's so sad that we carry that shame so deeply. What I've noticed over the last, probably close to a year, is since the book was out, well, actually first six months, I was a bit frozen. I was kind of terrified that people would call me out and say, she doesn't know how to say this word perfectly or whatever. Like, it really was a real fear. So the last six months, I've realized what my true purpose here is mm-hmm. as that bridge that I don't have to be all the things. There are language teachers, knowledge keepers, that that is their medicine. That is their work in the world. I think that I felt for a very long time I had to be all and do all of the things. Like there was a big responsibility on my shoulder Mm. to be perfect at all of it. And it's my own teaching. I think I write about it in my book about like you compare yourself to another's path, right? Thinking, oh, why do I not have that opportunity to do that? Or why is that person doing that? And I'm not, I should be. And I've searched so many times going across thinking, I need to do a little bit of that, a little bit of that. I've come home to myself, Mm. knowing that I want to take up space in my way with my medicine. And I might really suck at that. And I might really be bad at that. And I kind of need to know what, what is, what I'm good at and what I'm not. So that's really what's come true very, very recently, actually. Oh, I love that. And actually, you know, what is so wild, Asha, today from your deck, I pulled the creation story card, Mm. which is exactly that, that you were created divinely and to not compare yourself. And so it's so interesting that you say that and how 
what a, what a beautiful, beautiful lesson that like my purpose is this. And there are other folks who their purpose is all those other things, but like, this is what I'm good at. This is what I feel called to speak upon. What a freedom comes from that teaching. Thank you for sharing that. So, so much freedom. And I think we all have a little bit of that, right? We all just compare and contrast and kind of think, oh, why don't I do that? So it's, it's, yeah, it's so important to come home to yourself and your creation story. Okay. So Asha, someone who's listening and is interested in kind of decolonizing themselves, reclaiming their roots, what are some things, or what would you say to them about this process or this journey or what they're embarking on? Mm -hmm. I would say that it's a lifelong journey that I would say it's never going to be over to be as gentle with yourself as possible, especially when you find yourself acting, not acting, but yeah, just like moving in colonial ways or trying to navigate systems that you feel like, oh, I have to dance with this because we're not going to do it perfectly all the time. The more we can pay attention to where we feel like our spirits truly connected, those are the ways that are going to lead you to decolonizing yourself. So where it feels a little bit more spirit-led, then you'll know you're on the right path. Even that gut knowing or those flutters in your stomach or your dreams are telling you things or you're drawn to go and sit with a tree, mm. those things are going to lead you to the right, the right way, I think, in your own way. So yeah, those are the things I think that I would tell somebody. I love that. Asha, what are, well, we'll talk about the things that you know, you've done, but what are you excited about in the coming months or a year? What's exciting for you right now? So I waited on this for a while because sometimes like ideas really have to come in and like root down for me. And I'm going to be doing a 13 month moon, like ceremony journey where I'm going to be doing a moon ceremony that corresponds to my book. So that is going to be launched in June, very shortly, probably on the solstice. And I'm so excited for that. You know, people are like, why didn't you launch it with your book? And I just didn't have the capacity and I didn't feel ready. So that's going to be my next creation. Oh my gosh. I am so there. I'm so excited about this, Asha. Thank you. That's going to be amazing. And this podcast is going to come out in time. So if that sounds amazing to you all, go check out Asha's Instagram, which will be linked um, in the show notes. But Asha, where can folks find you? Talk about your books in your Oracle deck. Yes, I, I know this community will want to stay connected. Oh my goodness. Well, you can go to ashafrost.com. All my things are, my links are there. And my Instagram, asha.frost is where I show up the most. But I would love to, I would love for you to feel my medicine in my deck or my book, because I think that also is a way to decolonize and re-indigenize yourself because it just helps you to bring forward your remembering. So that would be a beautiful way we could work together right now. Yes. And I can't tell you, Asha's get on her email list. Your emails are so thoughtful and just, I always open mine. I always read them. There's always medicine in there. So if you're looking for a wonderful email in your inbox, definitely sign up for Asha's email list. It's really incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I love chatting always. Oh, Asha, no, the thank you for being here. I am just so grateful, so grateful for you, this conversation and all that you do. And I'm just wishing you all of the best. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me this week. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe or follow where you love listening most. And if you haven't yet, leave a review. You can do this on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Podchaser, or Podcast Addict. Until next week, love.